Welcome to A Window on Samri, where we take you inside South Australia's independent not-for-profit health and medical research institute. Each episode, we get to know the people driving our life-changing research, getting into what motivates them personally and how their work is delivering a brighter, healthier future for all. Tina, what's your cultural heritage? So I'm Aboriginal and I have connections to Yandrawanda and Yarrawaka. And I've been living here on Ghana country for about 17 years. So what does your cultural heritage mean to you? Well, I mean, it's kind of everything. So it underpins everything I am, um, everything I do, the way that I think, the way that I feel. I'm really proud of it and really connected to it. And how has that developed through your life? I think in a mixed way for for someone like me. So I have non-Aboriginal parent and Aboriginal parent and so... You know, growing up at being in sort of, I hate the cliche of walking in two worlds, but, you know, that is the, the lived experience that I have of sort of navigating both. And so definitely more as I grew up, more connection to that, more understanding of what it means and I guess more responsibility of what to do with that. And what was challenging about that when you were a kid? I think, you know, growing up in a place that I grew up Mm, there's a lot of racism there, so even still to this day. So I think that you have a mixed relationship with it when you're growing into your identity and that really shapes who you become and, you know, you almost, you need a lot of strength around you to kind of go, no, I'm proud of who that is and I'm not going to let the world shape how I feel about that. And how are you able to come to that sort of a mindset? It seems like something that you'd have to grow in confidence and develop over a lot of years and after some difficult experiences? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously your family and your community, that's the part where you get strength from. And then a level of self-awareness, a level of growing and learning about the world and learning that things like racism aren't about you, you know, that's about other people. And so, you know, you really, you, you have to, I think that comes with time and experience and and maybe not always. I mean, maybe we can teach our kids that. But like, you know, when I was growing up, that wasn't a conversation that was had openly compared to maybe now how I would talk about racism with my kids or their identity or, you know, who they knowing who they are and what that means, you know, from, you know, as young as they can remember. How do you remember racism impacting you when you were young? I really just remember probably the, you know, those negative experiences you know, hearing people talk about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, you know, using a lot of really overt racist slurs to just describe, you know, your your people and your community around you, near you, in everyday conversation, in the media, in, you know, just a lot of really in-your-face ways, but you don't realise what it is when you're just a kid. So did you realise at the time just how significant that was to be surrounded by that or was it the case that because you lived there you sort of got used to it i i reckon you just don't know because you're too young but you, you what you what you do know is that it's not right like your body your brain everything about it you know that it's not right but you don't really have a voice in that you don't really know what to do with that and so that's the part that you tend to for people like me you tend to come to much later in life where you realize that that wasn't okay did you used to push back against it? Not as a kid, no way. <laughs> so I think that's something that you grapple with as you grow older, maybe that idea of like, 
you know, how to equip your kids or how to make sure that they know how to stand up for themselves or how to hold people accountable or how to, you know, push back and not just kind of go, oh, I don't really know what to do with that. Were you able to talk to your parents about that? No, I don't think it was something that we really talked about when I was a kid very much. Yeah. And were there lots of other kids from a similar cultural background as yourself living there? or Yeah, where I grew up, there's a really high Aboriginal population. So I'd say like there was a lot of kids that were probably going through much of the same thing as me. Mm. But even with a high percentage of people being from Aboriginal background, there was still such a racist Yeah, I think that possibly that made it worse. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So what inspired you to want to work in Aboriginal health? Well, I pretty much, my first career in Aboriginal affairs more broadly, my first job was in um, an Aboriginal sort of organisation doing like administrative and type roles, fresh out of high school. And so from there, I really, I mean, that was the start, I guess, of a, a long career in sort of Aboriginal health and wellbeing. So how has it developed from there and I suppose your own ideas around the impact that you can have and what you want to see change, how has that influenced who you've become to this point? Yeah, well, after that, I, you know, I decided to go to university and so I didn't take the kind of standard pathway straight from school to uni. I went and worked out in the world for a while and I really knew that I wanted to help my community. That was like, you know, I wanted to do something to make a difference. I guess really growing up where I grew up with the experiences that I had, you know, I, I really wanted to do something and I decided to move to Adelaide and I went to uni and so I did my Bachelor of Social Work and really from there it sort of, you know, while I trained and while I learned more and more I felt like that's what I wanted to do was to help people and support people and make a difference in someone's life and so, yeah, I went through and after that I worked as a social worker for quite a while. So as you got older, was it a case of reflecting and sort of realising what had happened when you were younger and having that wash over you in a sense and then getting a feeling of really wanting to make some sort of a a difference Mm -hmm. so that other kids in a similar position wouldn't have to go through that? Is that kind of what it was like? Absolutely. Whilst, like, whilst, you know, sometimes when you're at uni and you're learning about a lot of things, you know, in a context that's like, you know, almost intellectual and it's like, and then as you start to do that, you're like, that's what happened to me and that was my experience and, you know, that's not okay and you kind of get a fire in your belly about making a difference for other people and how you might be able to do that Mm. so they don't have the same experiences that you had. And then your work with Aboriginal women and children, what was the aim of that? Yeah, so I worked... For quite a few years before I came into research, I worked as a social worker. And so I mostly worked with Aboriginal families and so with predominantly women and children in these really sort of supportive roles around, you know, kind of a family support type role, really taking in what was happening for people in their lives. And, you know, social work is really kind of like you just get on and do what people need type of role. So it's like, you know, every day, you know, what does someone need? They need to get to an appointment. They need to get to the shop. They need services in their life. You know, and and really working, in my work we really worked, it was primarily meant to be early intervention to prevent contact with the child protection system. But most people we were working with were so vulnerable and really going through really hard times and so, you know, they had a lot going on in their lives. What did you learn from doing that job? 
You know, I learned that it's pretty tough in the world, you know, that people's, you know, I guess the environments that people are born into really does influence the life opportunities that they have. And so the type of families that we were working with was really to try and address those impacts and, you know, try to break sort of intergenerational cycles and give people the greatest opportunity to sort of thrive as parents and thrive as families and, yeah. And did you have a lot of success or was there quite a bit of frustration involved? You know, I think it's one of the most rewarding things because you actually have a bit of success all the time in the small wins. So it's like the everyday change that you made in someone's life is always very positive. But what I learned is that it felt like putting Band-Aids on. So, you know, like you'd help someone or support someone with something but you couldn't fix the system that they live in. You couldn't change their life circumstances. You can't really, you know, you can just make an impact in that little everyday moment. You and can't get to the root of the problem. Exactly. And there's so many factors that are at play that, mm. that are outside of your control, especially as a clinician in the day-to-day work. How's your idea of what it is to make an impact developed as you've gone from job to job and gotten a bit older? Yeah, I think... That's, that's something that probably really drove me into research, the idea of being able to make, like, you know, have a greater impact for a greater number of people. So it was really rewarding to be a clinician, but it's, you know, you can only have a caseload of so many people and you can't change the system. Mm-hmm. And so I really saw research as an opportunity to address those systems that impact on people. And what have you found since you did make the switch to being a researcher how hard is it to feel like you are making those translational changes because it's a massive challenge to take on, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's really different and you kind of, you have to think of impact in different ways. So it's like, you know, the impact when your day-to-day with someone, you see the small wins in their life. The impact now is really a long game and it's like we make the most incremental changes or we influence the health system in some way and that can actually for us, that has to be a big win because that's why we're here. So, you know, we really take those as really rewarding. And how do you go with that? That must have been a bit of an adjustment. Yeah, I think it was. And, you know, I kind of miss, I think any person would, it's almost like instant gratification when you see a change and you see it day to day. Especially when it's so hands-on and you're making a visible difference to people's lives who really need you, which you're doing in research, Yeah, but, it but it's kind of yeah. meta, isn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't always feel like it. And so we, you know, we try to stay really connected. Well, I know I try to stay really connected to community and to, you know, to culture and to what I'm doing and, and I guess to the people that we work with and work for so that we're always mindful of what difference we're having, but that we can always do more and keep striving for that. And you're a mother of two. How has having children changed you? Oh my gosh. Um, how hasn't it changed you? <laughs> That's probably a better question. I think being a mother and being a mother to Aboriginal children, it definitely, you really want the world to be better for them. You want it to be different than what it was for you. And you absolutely, as a parent, you don't want your children to have the same experiences that you had. Well, if they're negative, of course, you know, you want to shape a bright future for them. And you know, so I think it's a, a huge driving force to think about what their future should look like and what contribution I make to that, not just as their mother when I raise them every day, but to the world that they live in. And so is that on your mind when you're working or looking for some motivation sometimes? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, my kids, but like, you know, the 
the connectivity of it is like, you know, every Aboriginal child. So it's like, yes, my kids, because, you know, I'm responsible for them. But mm. I really feel the same kind of drive for every Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander child that they all, that every child deserves the same. And that's really motivating. And it gives you a, a way to relate and an empathy for other parents too and how they must feel. Yeah, absolutely. What are they like? They're both. Um, my son, he's a deep thinker and already like very insightful. Uh, recently, he was telling me this story about they have a book of the week at school and at his school, like uh, the book of the week was um, the Martin Luther King story. And the teacher asked the class, you know, if they, who knew who he was and he was the only one that put up his hand and like, as a like a black parent, I was just so proud. That's cool. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, they're the sort of things where you know you're doing something right. And so he's only in year four. So we're like, you know, I guess we're raising them to be really aware, really proud young people. And my daughter is creative and she loves to dance and she loves art and all of those sort of things. And Does she get that from you? I don't think she gets that from me. <laughs> You don't have the moves? <laughs> it's not for me. I mean, I do science, so I think my son's brain is a little more Are you more saying like scientists mine. can't dance? I mean, maybe. <laughs> we should have a dance off and see. <laughs> so what kind of Australia do you want them to grow up in? You know, I really want them to grow up somewhere that's equitable, somewhere where their, their sovereignty as first people is recognised and that you know, they have a say in everything about their life and that, you know, the dominant way that we live isn't just based on something we inherited from a colonial history. It's like where every day actually reflects Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's first and all of the diversity now of this country that we live in, which, you know, mm. is rich and vast. And I think that, you know, I, re I really want that to be the world that they live in where, that's the way that it looks. What's it like to get the significance of that across to young kids to understand the world they live in where that's their, their cultural heritage, which is so important to them, but often they're surrounded by people who have different cultural heritage or they don't quite have that same significance. How do you make that make sense for them and connect them to it? Yeah. I mean, I think they're the sort of, I guess, bold conversations that we have with them is about them understanding what's important to them, what our values are as a family. And then you kind of, you know, you really, you really just actively all the time encouraging and talking to your kids about, you know, the, these things when they happen. It's, you know, something at school or something in the media or a little moment of, you know, reflection and you can learn so much from that. And that's how I think we, we shape and change the world is like in those little moments. Mm. And are they receptive to that? Do you think they really understand why it's so important? Yeah, I think kids are super, kids are amazing because they're just like, they just, they're almost, they're so open to like learning and, and they seem so, most kids haven't developed, I guess, the judgments or the the perspective. You know, these you know that comes from, I guess, years of a certain like learning life. or a certain life. Yeah, and so they're they're so open to what we teach them and the values that we have. And so I think that happens in your home and in society as well. So, given how you felt when you were growing up, a lot of the time that must seem like progress. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I'm really heartened that my kids definitely don't come home with stories like I probably came home with. So I think that's a real shift and a change. But obviously it 
you know, it's not changed everywhere. So there's still a lot of work to do. Mm. What's the main focus of your research this year? So I'm mostly focusing on things around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander social and emotional wellbeing. And so it's, it's, I guess it's no surprise that I've been really drawn to, you know, what makes people healthy and strong and well, and that includes their physical health, their spiritual health, their mental health and their connections with family, community, culture. And so, you know, really focusing on holistic well-being. And how do you begin to address that when it's so wide and there's so many elements to it? Well, uh, really slowly and taking one small step, I think, is kind of so a lot of the work that we've been doing is even just you know, really starting to strongly articulate the importance of holistic well-being, you know, really recognising things like external factors that influence on that, like, you know, social determinants of health. So things like where you live, where you're born, the world you grow up in, things like racism and all these other factors that can, you know, can impact on being healthy and well. In your view, what's one area that's sorely lacking that we could see a major change in in the not too distant future if we do what needs to be done. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I think makes a huge difference, and this is something we've been working on a lot, is really just having routine ways of asking people when they come to um, a healthcare service or, you know, I guess any sort of healthcare setting about their holistic well-being. So, you know, asking them about what's happening for them in their life and, yeah. Like knowing what questions to ask? Yeah, I think asking, you know, so asking, routinely asking questions that get at someone's whole person and their whole well-being. Mm. And why is it so important that that's in check in order to give people the assistance that they actually need? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all, is it? So I think if you routinely ask people a broad range of questions and then you're able to design a service or response to meet those needs. And so, you know, by asking people what they want or what they need, you're better able to target it and you're better able to get it meeting their needs. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you keep your work life and your personal life separate or do they bleed into each other? I think they're all one in the same for me. And like, you know, I think that's always been something that, you know, when you're, especially when you're an Aboriginal person and you work in Aboriginal health and wellbeing, there's no separating, you know, who you are from what you do. And it's all just kind of one in the same. So how would you describe yourself day to day? Are you pretty fired up? Are you obviously passionate? How do people know you? I think I'm definitely passionate. You know, most people know where I stand on most issues or most perspectives. I'm always really open and sharing about that. I think I'm definitely... Um, committed, I guess, to making a difference. Mm. And when you see things that are currently happening like The Voice and uh, Survival Day and there's two sides to the coin, so it's not like everyone who's Indigenous shares the same view, Mm -hmm. but lots of people have strong views on either side. Mm -hmm. How do you... Express your own view, but also take into the the account the views of others. I think I'm still really working on that, you know, because like when you have a lived experience, you have a view that you feel is like the right one. Yeah. (laughs) And so it can be, you know, staying open to other perspectives can be really challenging. 
And it, it, I guess it's like it's a skill that you work on to kind of go, I really want to hear this person's perspective, but also I don't agree with that. And so I think, you know, how you can have a dialogue with people and, you know, be passionate and, and share your view and why, you know, and you kind of pick, you know, you pick conversations and you pick people that you want to engage with and have those conversations because you have to protect your own energy as well and you have to protect yourself. Do you feel like you have that freedom of expression in your work at Samri? Obviously you represent the Institute, but you're your own person too. Do you feel like you are able to fully express how you feel on certain issues? Yeah. I think that for me, I'm quite lucky to work in an environment where I feel like for the most part, my values align with the institution that I work. And I don't think that's always the case. And it doesn't mean they do to 100% because I'm sure that's hard for anyone. But it's like where you really feel that you have a freedom and, you know, your values actually align with most of what your workplace is trying to achieve that. That means you've got some comfort and safety and you're actually able to bring those things into your work and you're really trying to focus on equity and you know, a positive environment for everyone. And I think that's a workplace culture that we actually have at Samri as well. So that's really, yeah, it aligns for me. Absolutely. And what power do you find in working with your team? Because there's a lot of pretty amazing people that you get to work next to. Yeah, absolutely. We have an amazing work environment in Wadley Pringa. Um, we have such diverse experiences, lots of different backgrounds. You know, we have lots of people doing like, you know, the real, like the hard sciences. And then there's people like me doing the more social and emotional wellbeing and the, and the health systems and services. And, you know, we all really come together and support each other and we have a great, a great space that we work in. And it doesn't seem like there's too many other places that you could go that would be like that, that would have that range of diversity and people making such an impact at such a high level. Yeah, absolutely. We have, like, we have a great culture and it's like um, everybody really wants each other to do well and we're there for the same reason and I think that's where it really centres from. Like everybody who works in Wadley Pringer is there because they want to make a difference to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities and so when you have a shared goal like that, it usually creates a pretty positive environment. And that's the sort of thing that makes you want to stick around? Absolutely, yeah. So where are you and what are you doing when you're happiest? That's a good question. There's probably different ways I would answer that, but I think like I am absolutely outside at the beach, you know, in the water, in the sun with the kids and the dog and my partner. Like that's, you know, that's when I'm absolutely at my happiest. Nice. Yeah. I thought you were going to say at work there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, am I supposed to say that? Because if we could just like (laughs) wind it back, I'm happiest when I'm at (laughs) Sam. Thumbs up. <laughs> uh, what might surprise people about you? Hmm. Or are you an open book? Everyone knows. Look, I feel like <laughs> I am a bit of an open book. You know, some like one thing about me is that I like I always have like I'm quite honest. I'm quite authentic. There's not really ever a facade or like which you know. Uh, can I be, definitely get that feeling. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a good way to be. It is sometimes an absolute blessing, but there's certainly sometimes you like to you know maybe keep your cards close to your chest. But I've never been particularly good at that. So when you look back on your career and it's all at an end, far off in the distant future, because you're obviously still very young, what do you want to be able to say? Look, I don't know. I'm a bit of a realist, and I really just want to say that. 
I know that I worked hard every day to make a difference. And so whatever that difference is, I mean, who knows? So I hope it's huge. I hope it's like, oh, look at you, you changed the world. But I'll be really happy if just like that I did the best I could and that's made a difference to someone. That sounds like a good enough motivation to me. And, I, and you're already doing it. So I guess keep it up. <laughs> Thanks, Tina. Thank you. If you want to learn more about Samri and the researchers working to build a brighter, healthier future for you and your family, head to samri.org.au.